0: The fruit of labor Um, we we're not a perfect church in any stretch of the mean because we're all here Um, but we do thank the lord and we take a big breath and say thank you lord for raising up the next generation this is so important and my heart is truly encouraged this morning as jacob is taking this great step of faith to follow the lord I want to talk just a few minutes uh, about a few things, and I'm going to do my best to get through Psalms 96. This could be a two-parter. Time has gone by a lot, lots of events this morning. But um, the video that we've seen is Pastor Didier. Um, When Paul Anthes passed away, many of you know that. He was the American side of that that ran Compassion for Congo. Paul had left in his memoirs that I would pick up that mission, that everything would come to Scott, (laughs) You can't do anything when he dies. You say, Paul, okay, what, what have you done, Paul? You've left me this ministry in Congo. Um, and I went to our elders, and they graciously said, okay, let's figure this out. And it took our accounting team and so much work. But now at this point, we, this church, takes in money from all over the nation to send money on a monthly basis for four churches, an orphanage, a medical clinic, and a host of needs that you can only imagine in one of the poorest countries in Congo. We send roughly 17000 to $20,000 every week that comes in from not only you, but from people around the United States that support that ministry. And so when you saw Didier talking there, he wasn't just talking to us, he was talking to lots of churches. We asked him to make that for us. But that's him. He is, he is a deep lover of souls and uh, a dear friend. I speak to him weekly. Um, and watching those churches grow in such difficult climates. And I want to thank you for your involvement. Um, When you ask that money goes towards missions, we do everything we can to get it there. One more thing that I think is going to be helpful. Next Sunday night, we are presenting a a film here. And um, this film is extremely important. It's called The Essential Church. It was in the movie theaters, but it did not make it into our area. I think the closest uh, was in Jacksonville. Uh, Dr. MacArthur's ministry put this out. I cannot urge you enough to come out and watch this film. It will help you understand what the church is up against today. We're not going to cave. We're we're not going anywhere. We're going to fight. But it's important that the church body understands what's going on in many places around our nation. And so we invite you to come out, and it has a lot to do with missions. Imagine if the church crashes, what happens to the gospel around the world, in a sense, our participation with that. So I, I plead with you, next Sunday night, and I think it's at 6, you have to look in your bulletin there, um, come out and sit here and enjoy that movie. It'll challenge you, and I think it'll help you love your church even more. Well, let's pray, and then we'll look into Psalms 96. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. It has been glorious. We heard from a very dear brother from many miles away of what you're doing in the Congo. We thank you for their protection through a very, very difficult time in government, what they've done to the people. But you spared them, and you protect them. You have the ability. You reign now, and you control even evil, Lord. And so we thank you. We thank you for those four churches and the pastors that are in each one of those churches shepherding that large group over there. We thank you for the orphanage that can't have enough beds for the problem. And we thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for their medical clinic that tries to deal with things that we just don't have that problem here, but yet are life and death. And we pray that you would provide for them. Father, I pray for Jacob. As he is now sent out, Lord, and he heads out soon for training and then overseas, Lord, we pray that you would grip him continually with the gospel. He would be a great blessing to those he goes to serve with and those he goes to serve to. And Lord, now as we turn to your word, we remind ourselves that you send worshipers. You don't send wannabes, you don't send those with good intentions you send worshipers. And so, Lord, may we raise up many worshipers here so that you'll send out many more to proclaim your fame. I pray you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 96 is one of my favorite mission psalms. I have preached it in many places, but I looked at it very afresh this week, and just became overwhelmed with the glory of it. It is such an amazing psalm. It has a tremendous background to it. Um, Psalms 96 is the reflections of David's experience of bringing the ark into Jerusalem for the very first time. This is all recorded in many places, but one particularly is 1 Chronicles 15:16, where you'll see the larger. Uh, part of this psalm recorded there and written by David. And so most likely this is a Davidic psalm, though it doesn't title it. And it's possible that somebody took that psalm and maybe about verse 23, as you study it in First Chronicles, you can see where that was brought into this. But it seems to have the words of David from that time of bringing it in. Well, there's a context that all of that lies in as this ark comes into, into Jerusalem for the very first time. It starts all the way back in First Samuel chapter four. Remember the first uh, and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles are there is a chronicle logical order within that, and you have to study all three to find all these things. But in First Samuel chapter four, the Ark has been taken by the Philistines—the very Ark of God that was placed in the most holy of holies in the Tabernacle that Moses built was now in the possession of the Philippines and God's, uh, the uh, Philistines, sorry, I'm thinking missions, Uh, Philistines. And and we see in that context that God's heavy discipline is on the nation of Israel. As you move to chapter 5, the Philistines place the Ark of the Lord in their temple. In fact, the very temple of Dagon. And every time they show up in the morning, Dagon, their carved God has fallen face first in front of the ark of the Lord. Go on to study a little farther. Eventually, God cuts his head off, his hands off, and he keeps falling down in front of the ark. The priests aren't allowed to enter the temple or they're killed. God ravages them with tumors, and we think probably mice. The Philistines finally come to the conclusion that the ark of the Lord has come to them to kill them. (laughs) That's the conclusion they come to. First 1 Samuel chapter 6, Philistines turn to the lesson of Egypt, and they have, hatch a plan to get rid of this ark. They begin by saying, look what this God did to the nation of Egypt. Somebody had to tell them about that. Somebody spoke of this God, and they knew the story of what God had done. So they take the ark, and they put it on a cart with a bunch of golden mice and tumors Tell you what was going on in their world. And then they did something quite remarkable. They took two cows that were nursing mama cows. They had never been hitched to a wagon, to a cart, so they had never been yoked up, either one of them or together. They took their baby calves from them, yoked them to this cart, put the ark on it, and let it go. Now, I know many of you have not been on the farm or the ranch, but when you take baby calves from mama cows, they don't... They don't like that. (laughs) They'll break fences and gates and do everything they can to get back. This was nothing short of miraculous. Chapter 7, the ark makes its way back into the land of Israel, and it comes to the house of Abinadad, and there it remains for 20 years. The Bible tells us that the house of Abinadad was greatly blessed as they cared for the ark there. You move up 20 years and you come to First Chronicles chapter 11. Jerusalem has now been made the capital of Israel. Chapter 13, David seeks to move the ark of the Lord back to Jerusalem. He has Uzzah on the cart and the cart starts to wiggle. The, the ark starts to move and Yuza disobeys the Lord and puts his hand out and touches the cart and dies. David is struck with grief over this and does not know what to do, and so the ark is left with Obed-Edom, and his house is greatly blessed. Wars go on between Israel and the Philistines, and David, through his army and miraculous events, they take on the Philistines again and absolutely wipe them out by the strength of God. In that passage, in chapter 14, verse 12, it says that David took their gods and burned them. Chapter 15 is where we begin to see this scene. First Chronicles, David makes his way to move the ark to Jerusalem, and he arranges the largest worship service probably in the history of the scriptures at this point. I think Solomon may outdo him when the temple gets completed, but he arranges this massive worship service. Singers and musicians and, and trumpet players and all of this as they bring the ark of the Lord, remember that represents the presence of God, into Jerusalem. If you remember the passage, this is where David was so excited that he throws all kingly protocol to the wind and dances mightily before the Lord. He's amazed with the person of God. Well, this is where key mission thoughts begin to come in to Psalms 96. David desires and wants the world to know the glory of his God. He wants to proclaim who his God is. To all of the nations. He wants them to see the salvation of God. He wants to see, want them to see the great deeds that he has fulfilled opposed to their deities that are non-existent. David will tell us in this psalm that he wanted all the nations to adorn the true and living God. To worship him. To ascribe to him glory. He knew that was best for them. And he also knew that God was coming and he would reign and judge in his perfect righteousness. And so this text has a great missional plan laid out in it. And it's still a great missional plan today because God is immutable. But in order to truly worship God, we must know him. It's probably one of the fundamental struggles within the American church today. He must be known for truly who he is and And when you know him, you will worship him. And when you worship him, you will obey him. And when you obey him, you will tell the nations. So worship is the key to missions. We don't send non-worshippers to the mission field. And if a church does not worship, they will not send people to the mission field. Worship is a key, and that's what this psalm is about. I have four thoughts. We'll see how we do this morning, but let's get going here. Number one, true missional theology comes from a deep desire for the nations to know and worship our God through Christ alone. Look at these first three verses with me, the first three and a half. Sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day, tell of his glory among the nations." Missions often fails because the church doesn't worship. As I've said, we seem to be good at entertaining in America. We have raised up a shorter and shorter spiritual attention within our churches. Attention span. We now tickle ears to the listener in order to get them to stay and give. and, And so missions has been failing in America. We have not been sending out the missionaries we used to. And when you do that, when we don't raise up worshipers... When we raise up consumers, the results is missions, if it's done, it's done out of guilt. It's done out of half-heartedness. It's done out of tradition. Or it's done merely just for humanitarian aid. See, the key here is that the church is tasked with preparing worshipers. And it starts at the youngest ages, and it starts in the home, and, and it, it certainly starts in the pulpit, and the music we choose, and, and the discipleship that we do. All of that is part of the process of raising up worshipers. And this psalm will greatly give us insight of how to do that. Notice in verse 1 and 2 you have all these imperatives, and verse 3 a little bit. A lot, there's a lot of imperatives. Sing three times. Sing. Sing. It's an amazing thing. Singing has been around since the creation. In fact, the angels sang of the creation. It's part of the way God wants worship. And there's imperatives that we sing. And so when I get on you about being mumbler's, I'm, I'm, I got right. I have a good standing here, don't I? Sing to the Lord. He says, bless His name. This is this is blessing. This is an imperative. We 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 honor Him and bless His name. We proclaim in verse two. And we tell the nations in verse 3. These are all imperatives. And these Imperatives are not invitations. They're not saying, well, think about getting around to doing these things. David knew. And he knew he wanted the nation that God let him lead to be those who sang, blessed, proclaimed, and told. That's what he wanted. Now, notice this new song in verse 1. Um, I don't think it's new to David. I think David had had seen the Lord, he loved the Lord, but he had seen the Lord do something great. Now his presence, what had been long away from uh, Jerusalem, long away from the nation of Israel, in actually captivity, was now being brought, the center of the presence of God was being brought to the capital of Israel. And it was new. And, and, and now this ark of the Lord was there, and it's coming through the gates, and this is prompting David to sing and to bless and to proclaim and to tell. Missions is bringing the truth and the presence of God to a dying world. That's what we see David desiring here. God is holy and just, and he's, diver- he's deserving of worship. He's gracious and kind, and most importantly, God desires salvation for the nations in verse 2. You can see that. And I think what's happening here is David was say, was said, I want the saving truth of God proclaimed to everyone, I want it declared to the nations of the world. You can see him as he brings that in and all the gods have fallen before the living God. He, all the things that went on and you he, and he could he would see him. If they could only see this, this would end wars. This would end all the battles with the Philistines and all the deaths that were going to take place. If they would just turn to the Lord Jesus, the coming Lord Jesus, if they'd turn to God, this would not happen. We see the manifestation of God's glory in Christ, don't we? We see the manifestation of Christ as they looked at the ark of the Lord we see it in in Jesus he's the one who's holy he's the one who's worship he's a key to our worship Jacob loves the Lord Jesus Christ he's learned to worship him with his life both physically and spiritually worship the Lord and so God calls him worshipers go to the mission field See, our love for Christ propels our singing, it propels our blessings, it propels, propels our proclamation, and it causes us for the desire to tell the nations and neighbors. And you can do it either way. Tell the neighbors and the nations of this great God. Jesus gave them that command, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. You've seen me, you know who I am, you saw that I beat sin, Satan, and death. Now, go tell the nations of that. Be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Go spread my glory. That's the message from Jesus Christ. And that's the job of the church today. We have to ask ourselves am I engaged in that? Do I care about that? Am I, or am I so consumed of what I get when I come to church or choose a church or whatever it may be? Am I consumed with the glory of Christ? That's when missions happens. Notice verse 3 here. It says, tell of a glory among the nations. See, he had seen the glory of God. The battle just before this, they went out against the Philistines, and the Philistines got slaughtered. And the reason being is they heard so many footsteps and uh, an unimaginable number of soldiers coming in the treetops. David watched God destroy his enemies before him. He watched him destroy their worthless gods. And he wants these nations to know their gods know nothing. They are nothing. Turn to the one and true living God. I grew up singing the old song, Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. That resonates with you, doesn't it? Can I read it again? Maybe you're young and you haven't heard the song. It is an old one. But it says, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? See, See, that's the motivation to share, right? How could you take such a beautiful thing and hide it and not share it with someone? His victory is over sin, Satan, and death. And that's, that's what the glory of Jesus is about. It's the glory of Christ to us. He's able to beat all those things that we could never beat. You think you can beat sin? How'd you do this week? You think you can beat death? The Bible's clear. It's once unto death and then judgment. You can't beat death. And do you think you can take on one of the highest created angels ever who fell? See, Jesus beat them all. And the disciples knew that, and they said, we saw his glory. If you could go to the nations right now, if you were sent, if you were that one on the stage, if you could go, what would you tell them? Do you know your Bible? Are you a worshiper? Can you tell them what the Lord has done for you? Can you articulate that beautiful truth? There's a beautiful thing of this new song and, and I, you just can't help but think and just turn with me real quick to Revelation chapter 5 because I thought where's that at? Well that's in Revelation 5 better get used to this new song and, and the Lord's whole missional plan is, is in this song that we will sing someday in the great masses of those who stand before the king of kings or in this case kneel before him Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 says, And they sang a new song. There it is. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. That's judgment. There's only one who can open the seals and handle the judgment that's going to come on this earth. The end of our psalm is going to tell us that he's reigning, but he's coming to judge in righteousness. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from, and hold on to that. That's the gospel. Somebody had to die Our blood would not save us. Someone innocent, someone perfect had to die. And, of course, this is of Jesus. We are purchased for God. He was the payment, and it was his blood. But notice, for every tongue and tribe and people and nation, this is the new song, that every tribe, tongue, and nation see the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. He radically changes lives. Our job is to be worshipers. Verse 10, you, God, have made them to be king, be a kingdom and priest to our God. Isn't that amazing? We're kingdom, we're God's people, right? We're priests, we're able to step into his presence at any time we can come into his presence and they will reign upon the earth. What a great promise that God has for us. And So this new song is part of what we will greatly be involved in. Second thought. True missional theology proclaims exclusive worship to our God, to our living God, through Jesus, through Christ alone. True missional theology proclaims exclusive worship to our living God through Christ alone. Look at verse 3, towards the end of verse 3, the second half of it. His wondrous deeds among all the peoples. Some of the translations speak of the greatness of His deeds. God is great, is he not? The Philistines understood that. (laughs) In fact, when things were going wrong, when they thought they had won a victory and took the, the Israelites what they would have said, that's their God, let's put it in our temple. When they started to go awry and realize everybody's dying, they remembered the great works of God, what he did in Egypt. And they said, will we not remember what he did to the Egyptians? We will all die. Even the Egyptian, even the Philistines could remember those things. But speaking of the wondrous deeds, I think we, we look at the Bible and it tells us of these wondrous deeds, but I, I always want to think about us for a minute. Look at you. You're here. I trust you're saved. And, and, and let's think candidly, God took rank pagans and made us children of him. I don't know if you like being called a rank pagan. It's of your former life if you're saved. But that means you were set against God. And he saves us. These are the wondrous deeds. And and David, now, he's witnessed the greatness of God. And he couldn't hold it in. And he just cuts loose with tongue and dance to tell everybody, this is a great God and all the nations need to know about him. Do we have that kind of excitement? Are you ready to let it go? Unconcerned what people think about. You know what happened, right? As he's dancing, his wife mocks him. And that was the end of that relationship. You want to follow Jesus? It could cost you everything. And there's some of you in here that experience some of those things. It's, it's missions and worship is giving the Lord everything. Look at 4 and 5. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. Well, the deeds of the world's gods are just worthless. In fact, their non-existence is the idea. There's a great comparison David wants to make here. The great, great is the Lord and greatly to praise. He is to be feared among all gods. Their gods, now here's literally what the Hebrew says, are nothing. They're nothing. In reality, this is a rejection of all the world's religions. And I know it's politically incorrect to do that in our day. There is one way to God. It is through Jesus Christ alone. All other ways are lies. That's what the Bible teaches. And I think that's what David's teaching here. And it's not popular probably then. It's certainly not popular now. And there's going to be persecution. We've seen it through church history. When you stand up and you say there is one God and there's only one way through him, it is through Jesus Christ and his finished work alone, you are going to take heat for that. And some of you know it. It happens in your own homes and your own families. Some have lost jobs over this. But nevertheless, we're to go to our neighbors, and we're to go to the nations and say there is one God and all other gods are nothing. Listen to the scriptures as they speak. Just turn over to chapter uh, 115. God wanted the nations to follow, the, follow him and particularly the nation of Israel. And so there's constant reminders of how they're supposed to conduct themselves. Psalms 115 is another great contrast between the idols and the pagan worship of the world and the worship of the living God. He starts this way, not to us, O Lord, not to us. We're not going down that worldly trail, the psalmist says but to bring your name and give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God, he is in heaven. Their gods fall down, right? Mm -hmm. He cuts off their heads. Their gods, their idols are silver and gold. Our God does as he pleases. Theirs are the work of man's hands. They have mouth, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, and they cannot see. They have ears, and they cannot hear. They have noses, and they cannot smell. They have hands, and they cannot feel. They have feet, and they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Shield. You who fear the Lord trust in the Lord and he is their help and their shield. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 41 one more I have to show you just uh, I came infatuated with this passage this week. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 21. We've moved into the Suffering servant passages as everything is now being turned to the Messiah and his coming. And yet they still wrestled with wood that was cut down and formed into some kind of God. And they would burn the wood and cook their fire and then worship the piece of wood and so forth. And Isaiah has dealt with that. In verse 21 he says, present your case, the Lord says. He's speaking of their dumb Idols, which are no gods. Bring forward your strong arguments, the king of Jacob says. Let them bring forth and declare to us what's going to take place. Little, miss, little piece of wood, tell me what's going to happen. As for their former events, declare what they were. Can you even tell us what happened in the past and why it happened? that we may consider them and know their outcome or announce to us what is coming. Declare the things that are going to come afterwards. The Bible's full of prophecy, isn't it? Because God can tell you what's going to happen in the future. And he tells you exactly what happened in the past all the way from creation on. Declare the things that are going to come forward that we may know that you are gods. Indeed, do good or evil, that we may anxiously look about us in fear together. And then here's his conclusion. Behold, you are of no account, and your works amount to nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. <laughs> it's like he's writing. Isaiah's writing to a piece of wood. <laughs> he who bows down to you is an abomination. You can't tell him anything. And this is the state of Israel at this time, their nations around them, and it is the state we are in as well. Yes, people don't always, at least in our um, first world, bow down to pieces of wood, but they'll sure down, bow down to people and money and everything else. I think this is what Paul was talking about as he walked through the, the temple at Mars Hill in Athens and showed them, you have all these gods, but there's this unnamed one. Let me tell you about them later in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 4 he says this we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no god but one look missions done lovingly tells you to coin a phrase from a song i hope not too many of you know the lyrics to it highway to hell it's either god's way or it's a highway to hell it's there's no other there is no other one. Now, now we do this lovingly, right? We, if you're here and you're not saved, we, look, we, we want you to know Jesus Christ because there is another highway. And it does end in judgment and in hell. But, but, that's, but that's where God's glory comes in. That's where his message comes in. That's, there's a way. He has sent his son to beat sin and Satan and death. And there's a way to eternal life. There's a way to abundant life. So we worship the God of the Bible and we worship him exclusively. There is no other room. And I know it's difficult. Some of you have family members that are caught up in false religions. I know that's challenging. But you do them no favors if you try to blend the God of the Bible with a false God. It's dangerous and damning. Our God is the true and living God and he's enthroned in glory. Look at verse 5. And following all the gods of the people are, are idols. The Hebrew word there means nothing. They're nothing. But the Lord, here, here's the contrast, has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. That's, you're getting a view now of who he is compared to these idols that get their heads chopped off and fall over on their face. He's decorated with splendor and majesty. All that's before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. He's a completely different. When you look to his glory, this Word here, this phrase in in this section just is displaying a Yahweh, a God creator who has splendor and glory, and he has the ability to sustain all things. Let me see if I can get through one more. True missional theology grips the church with splendor, and the glory of the Lord results in great desire for missions. Notice in verse 7, 8, and 9, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Well, the word ascribe means in the Hebrew, means not only to give something, to be coming as you give. See, it's not a way to pay off God in some way. Well, I went to church. I put in time. I was there for a whole hour and a half. I gave something in a basket no, no, it's an idea when we ascribe glory to God, it has the idea of giving while coming, while surrendering, coming with gifts, coming, making our way towards God is what he's saying here. Certainly the word glory defines this, this majestic aura of the divine presence of God, right? The apostles saw it and they said we've seen his glory, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten. The Hebrew word for glory is kabut. it's a it's a word that means splendor and weighty is, is the idea of it. It's impressive is the idea of it. It's deserving of honor. In the Greek, we use the Greek word to, for glory for doxa. It means the appearance of something of awe. The, the disciples were in awe on the Mount of Transfiguration when, when his glory is unveiled that was hidden behind his humanity. It's unveiled there and they were in awe of him. I think when you get saved, you saw that at some level. You saw his glory because only he could rescue you from your sins. You and I are moved to do something often or tell something about something. Something's grabbed our attention. You found some new kitchen hack. Is that the word? Um, And you can't wait to tell your friends, oh, I found this new new thing you can do, right? You're so excited about it. Are you excited about Jesus? (laughs) Say, this is where mission dies out, when, we're, when we are less captivated with the glory of Christ, and we're more captivated with what's going wrong in our life. This is where mission stops. We stop witnessing. We stop caring for souls because we're now so consumed with our own issues. And you have a great God who's creator and sustainer, who can solve all your problems in his timing. See, mission stops. The Bible says in Psalms 2410, who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. He is the absolute definition of glory. And that's who we are telling people about. And the church must develop a deep affection for the glory of God. This is what all the reformers preached, and this is what got them turned. It wasn't just, we're going to do a different kind of church. They were consumed with the glory and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They could see God through Christ. They became consumed with him, and that drove the changes that the church had to take. And it should drive ours. I want to be a more welcoming, loving, Christ-centered church. Be consumed with his glory. I want to do more missions, do more evangelism. Be consumed with the glory of Christ. Want to win your family to the Lord. Want to finish this life well. Be consumed with the glory of Christ. Ask God to capture you with the person of his son. See, this creates a, a missional mindset for the church. It doesn't put us back in tradition. Too many churches do missions because that's what you do. We're a church and we hang their pictures on the wall and they're there. That's what happens. And We grow We grow cold of of those who are lost. So God produces missionaries who are willing to sacrifice their life because they're consumed with the glory of Christ. G. Campbell Morgan, writing on this passage, said this. I want you to listen to this. This is about worship. If the song of the Lord begins in the heart, it always grows into the chorus in which others are included in its music. Let me read that again. I want you to think deeply about this and think about the whole theme. Worship produces missions. If the song of the Lord begins in the heart, it always grows into the chorus in which others are included in its music. That's missions. When a group begins to say, we're going to now, we're we're going to go after Christ we're going to go after his word. We're going to keep each other accountable. We're going to die to self and, and battle sin through the scriptures and the spirit of God within our life. And we're going to set him and honor him and strive each and every day. And when we fall, we have short accounts so and we get up and keep moving and we love one another to help keep each other accountable. That group will produce things for the glory of the Lord. And I pray that he's doing that here. Look at verses 8 and 9. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Look, when the heart of worship flows from you, it causes you to give to the Lord, and it even changes your attire. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about what we're wearing outwardly. David was wearing the ephod when he came into Jerusalem in First Chronicles 15. But I'm talking about we wear the righteousness of Christ. See, when you seek his glory, the righteousness that he's now dressed you in will now become evident to those around you. And then missions goes forward. This is a call for the families of the earth to understand what worship does. It changes the way we see ourselves, the way we are dressed in his holiness versus our own works. And God uses this. And we do this Because God is who he is, and he did what he did. And there's a watching world, brothers and sisters. They're watching us. You have neighbors who are watching you. They're wondering why you're different, why you parent different, why your marriage is different, why you act different, why you speak different. See, we have an opportunity to be missionaries right on our block, right in our jobs, right in our neighborhoods. And I want you to think about that in light of missions. We're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. We're glowing with His glory. Live it, and God will change the world. Father, we thank You for time in the Word today. So many things have happened this morning. We've heard from missionaries overseas. We've commissioned another missionary here by Your grace to send out. Church has sung tremendous truth to You, Overcome with Your glory as we sang about your truth and reminded ourselves what you have done. We've now broken out your word, Lord, and looked at a great passage on missions, Lord. David has reminded us that he hoped and desired that all of the world could know his living God. And Lord, I pray that's what this church wants. Does Riverbend Community Church want all of the world to know our Savior, our God and Savior? Lord, cause that to be instilled deep into our hearts. Cause us to be a church that pursues you, knows that you are our only hope, a church that does not compromise because you are the one and true living God, Lord. Remind us every day that, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way to the Father except through you. May that message be kindly, lovingly, but on our tongues as we share you with others. Lord, we thank you for our missionaries around the world. We ask that you would protect them and bless them. Thank you for Jacob, Lord. Direct his path. We'll give you all the glory and how you use him and how he serves for you in Jesus' name.